Welcome to the newest Eden Center podcast, Building Ourselves Through Parsha. Our host, Karen Miller-Jackson, will use the Parsha to explore an aspect of social, emotional, or physical well-being relevant for 21st century life and its challenges. Karen is a certified Matan Moralalacha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kivun Lashirut, a guidance program for religious girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Consistent with the Eden Center's goal of enhancing women's spiritual life through Torah and Mikvah, Karen's insights, we hope, will serve as a springboard for self-introspection and discussion. Hello, everyone. This week, we celebrate Hanukkah, the holiday of light. However, today, more than ever, there are people we know, friends or family members, perhaps some of you, who are not feeling the light because they are struggling with depression. Statistics show that there has been a sharp rise in cases of depression, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. In today's Building Ourselves Through the Parsha, I would like to draw attention to the subject of depression and look for some Torah insights to guide us in how to help loved ones or friends who may be struggling. Also, after some insights into the Parsha, I will be interviewing Rabbi Yoni Rosenzweig, who is in the process of publishing a book on mental health and halacha. Let's turn to the Parsha. The Midrash describes this week's Parsha, Miketz, as a turning point in Yosef's life. Yosef, who last week was brought down physically and figuratively by being thrown into a pit, now finds himself in a prison in Mitzrayim, far from family and seemingly forgotten. But now two years pass, and Paro has dreams that need interpreting. The Parsha opens, and it was at the end of the two years. The Midrash teaches, Ketz Sam Lachoshech, quoting the book of Eov, God puts an end to the darkness. Yosef was forgotten in prison, certainly experiencing a great low in his life. But when Paro has dreams and the butler remembers Joseph from prison as a talented dream interpreter, it is a glimmer of light which Hashem provides for Yosef to emerge from prison and restore his spirits. This is highlighted by the use of the same word for Paro's waking from his dream, Vaikatz Paro. Paro's waking up from his dream relates to the ending of Yosef's time in jail. Darkness is associated here with feelings of lowliness and uncertainty for Yosef. Elsewhere in Torah, the darkness is also a time of danger or sinning and distance from God. Yet it is also the time before the light or sunrise, which represents renewal and potential for redemption. This theme appears in the beginning of Masachet Psachim as well. The Mishnah instructs that we are to search for chametz by the light of a ner, a candle, and the Gemara elaborates that other lights are not optimal, such as the light of the sun or of a torch. The proof texts brought in the Gemara give differing perspectives on the purpose of the candle in the darkness. First, the Gemara brings a pasuk from Tzephania, and it shall come to pass that at the time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. This verse describes Hashem searching out the sins of Am Yisrael with the lamp. Here, the sins are hidden in the darkness, and the light of the candle of the lamp exposes them. The Talmud then teaches something beautiful about this verse. The Gemara suggests that the ner is not a strong light used to search for faults, but rather a gentle light, a ner shraga, so that the grave sins will be discovered, but small sins can be overlooked. This teaches that it is best not to search too hard for and focus on every little fault. However, 
since the rabbis were looking for a proof that the nair was a strong source of light in order to search for chametz, they bring another pasuk which suggests that the nair is an effect of light for searching. Nair Hashem nishmat adam chofes kol As it says in Mishlei, the book of Proverbs, the spirit of man is the lamp of God, searching all the inward parts. Here, the light of the nair is described as strong. Each person's spirit draws on the light of Hashem, who can search within a person and know their deepest feelings. It is a more positive introspection. Perhaps these two different verses teach us something about searching within ourselves and others. When a person is overly focused on his or her own faults or sins, it is best not to shine a bright light and look too deeply. Yet, when we speak about the soul of a person, their strengths, their passions, drawn from the light of Hashem within them, that is a strong light to shine. Hanukkah contains a similar message. The miracle of the oil, which lasted eight days, did not come from nothing. The Hashmonaim found one pach shemen in the temple, one cruise of oil, which would have been enough for one day, but that little light extended to create more light. Each little light which we can search and find in ourselves, or which we can help point out to others, like the Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam, can lead to more light and an end to the darkness. People may struggle with depression at different stages of life, such as in adolescence, due to unemployment or illness, or after childbirth, such as postpartum depression. Raising our sensitivity to this issue and thinking about how we can help can be that little bit of light that people need to banish some of the darkness. Chanukah Sameach and Shabbat Shalom. The Eden Center has been working hard to bring issues of mental health to the fore, especially as they relate to mikvah, through educating Kala teachers and mikvah attendants about various issues within the world of mental health to help make mikvah a positive experience for all women. And of course, through this Building Ourselves podcast. My guest today, Rav Yoni Rosenzweig, is a community rabbi of Netzach Menashe community in Beit Shemesh and the author of several books. He also teaches at Midrash at Lindenbaum. Previously, Ravioni served as Rosh Kolel of the Mizrahi community in Australia, head of Yeshivat Amivtar, and Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivat Shvu Israel in Efrat. Ravioni has smicha from Rav Nacham Eliezer Rabinovich and from the Chief Rabbinate, a BA in education and in philosophy and history. Ravioni is in the process of publishing a book on mental health and halacha. Hello, Ravioni Rosenzweig. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I know you're about to publish a book on mental health, Bezrat Hashem and Halacha. This must have been a huge undertaking for you emotionally, and I hope it will have tremendous positive influence in the Orthodox community, um, where these issues are often not discussed openly. I'd like to begin by asking you what you learned about depression from your research and from speaking to individuals who struggle with depression themselves. Right. Um, I think that, I mean, obviously, if you ask a, um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist what they know about depression, they will be able to state a million facts, you know, things that they've learned on a technical level, on a clinical level. Uh, I think that uh, as a non-professional, uh, 
you know, my main takeaway and my, the main thing that I understood about depression is that unlike what you may think, it is quantifiable. And what I mean by that is that um, it's not just, you know, oh, we can't really tell the difference between, you know, just w- waking up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, having the blues and someone who's clinically depressed. We can't, <laughs> we can tell the difference. And that is of great significance because um, when we ask ourselves questions, uh, especially Allah questions, but not just Allah questions, also uh, philosophical questions about depression, about the people who are going through these things, um, it's important to know that they're not kidding themselves, which is part of the stigma that relates to mental health, where they say, oh, come on, that guy's happy. Like, you know, and he has a similar situation to me. Why can't I be happy? Uh, and the answer is, for some reason, you can't. And for some reason, you need help. You need assistance. You know, you need therapy. You need medication. And it's okay. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're not well. and That's fine. It's okay to admit it. You know, it's not in your head. You're not kidding yourself or everybody around you. It's not that you can just, just be more positive. You know, like, it's not, for some of us, that's what it is. Sure. For some of us, it's just that. But what I've learned is that people who suffer from depression really do need the assistance. They need us to be more empathetic towards them. They need us to provide them with the tools uh, in order to beat their depression. They cannot just swing it on their own. It's not like that. Uh, Much similar to any other disease a person might catch or any other sickness that a person might have where they need help from a doctor. Also here, uh, depression is definitely something which is quantifiable, which you can look at and say, hey, this guy really needs help. He should have our empathy. He should have our assistance. And I think that's very significant. Yes, very much. And that relates to some of the things I spoke about in my discussion on the Parsha as well, in terms of the Ketzam L'Choshech Eilachet, moving from darkness to light and the themes of Hanukkah. So since this is an Eden Center podcast, I would like to focus on the aspects of your work, which would be most relevant for our audience. The Eden Center focuses on improving the mikvah experience for women and bringing to light issues of mental and physical health through mikvah, in addition to providing intimacy um, education. Can you discuss how you have seen mental health issues and specifically depression impacting women's experience of mikvah um, and any concrete tips you can give to make this easier, either in halachic terms or otherwise? Sure. I, like I said, the problem with depression is, I'll, I'll be very clear, the problem with depression is people don't usually, because of the stigma, people don't, don't usually reveal mm-hmm. that they're going through depression. It's, it's the, the private nature of, uh, of mental health is, is very detrimental to seeking help and getting people to, you know, to assist you. So uh, to be honest, me personally, I've never been asked you know, uh, questions like that, you know, but I can imagine it, of course, that that would happen. Uh, in, in a situation where someone would say that, I would, of course, be... Uh, as lenient as I could in terms of the amount of decode that they needed to do um, and um, and make sure that they are only doing what the minimum that they that they feel capable of doing um, and and then deployable so definitely you have to find you know a lot of the um, a lot of leniencies in terms of you know you have to, the classic halacha is to do you know twice a day every day you know during the shivanikim the truth is I think that even very perfectly healthy people don't do twice a day every day uh, but nevertheless uh, certainly when you're unwell you know we could be makel with much less than that you know if it's uh, twice a week or sometimes even once a week uh, depending on the person 
So, you know, like, absolutely, those things are definitely possible. And I've also discussed with Postkim in the past, uh, the, ne- the necessity to be um, uh, lenient for women with OCD or depression or things of that sort um, in cases like that. So definitely, absolutely, uh, if someone is suffering in that way, they should know that they can be much more lenient with the amount of decode that they need to do in order to get through it and to get to the It's a real uh, bracha for, for women dealing with this to, to have you introduce this to the, make this more relevant and raise awareness about this issue. Uh, the Eden Center also focuses on issues within marital relationships and intimacy. Have you encountered questions relating to intimacy, hilchot nida, and depression? Can you share what type of questions you received, let's say, on nida observance while coping with depression? We talked about this a little bit. Um, but right. do you also have constructive advice for religious couples dealing with depression, you know, in terms of that as well? Certainly um, needing more physical contact and, um, and to, to, to in that, to taking the motivation to invest in the intimate part of the relationship. Sure. Um, definitely got this question. Almost one of the first questions that I got when I started dealing with this um, with this uh, field. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't sure embarking on uh, my own personal journey and learning these halachas, I wasn't sure that I would find Postkim who would be sensitive to this concern and would be willing to be lenient. But I was pleasantly surprised um, and found, in fact, many rabbinic uh, uh, deciders who were willing to, um, yes, find a, a path forwards in those situations. Because if a woman, as an example, if a woman is suffering from depression, she needs, you know, a hug from her husband to get through it. Okay, not just as like, you know, oh, I feel so bad for you, but as part of coping with the depression, uh, that it could definitely lift the spirits of that individual, help them get through the day. Uh, and once again, I, I think that we're not, I think that we we don't understand, right? People listening to this, um, might say to themselves, okay, so the person's feeling a bit bad. So you're allowed to give them a hug to lift their spirits. Like, what are you talking about? Okay, so as a response to that, I would say, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you understand what depression is? Do you understand that it could lead to suicidality? Do you understand that we're talking about people who sometimes can't get out of bed? They can't go to work. They can't go out of the house. They can't function normally uh, in any way, shape, or form. I'm not talking about someone who's just a little bit down. Right. So once again, we're talking about clinical depression. So I think people don't always understand what we're talking about. Uh, this is a person who, luckily, we would define them at the very least. Um, so it's definitely someone who's unwell. And in that situation, is there a way forwards uh, to allow that hug or to allow that uh, physical contact? The basic answer uh, to this question is that if it's, if it's uh, direct, meaning skin touching skin, then there's more of a problem. But we don't need to go that far. Usually, I mean, most most hugs don't necessarily involve that, right? Most mm-hmm. hugs involve mm-hmm. through clothing. Um, and, you know, you could also just put your hand, you know, on your wife's back and, you know, like, you know, uh, and just uh, comfort her, you know, et cetera. Or if a person really wanted to hold her hand, you know, then he could put on a, like one of those thin surgical gloves and just hold her hand, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so there's a lot, definitely uh, room for us to find a way to be lenient uh, with regards to these things and is that people should know. And the reason the reason I'm saying this, uh, just like a little bit of a, a bracket in brackets to say, you know, uh, this is one of those, since it's intimacy, right? People will usually, once again, not ask, you know, specifically with intimate issues. So I think it is important to 
kind of like broadcast this issue uh, specifically. So people should know, you know, if you're suffering from depression and you need, you know, assistance from your wife or from your husband, you know, and that assistance will come in the form of some form of affectionate, you know, uh, um, uh, kind of like expression um, on a physical level. So I think if it's through clothing, you know, you have a significant amount of leeway to allow yourself to do that um, when you're clinically depressed. I think that that's definitely allowed and, and, and people should know that because it will, it will help them hopefully to get through that very, very difficult time. Wow, this is wonderful and very ref a very refreshing voice to hear. And having studied these halachot myself um, as a morale halacha, I know that uh, this, this needed an upgrade in the sense of how we, we know so much more now about mental illness than post yeah. throughout history have known. And it's, uh, it's just wonderful, the work you're doing. So uh, to, to, uh, to broaden out again, when someone, God forbid, has a physical illness, the Orthodox community knows how to respond. They deliver meals and show great support, much to their credit, um, to our credit. However, most people dealing with depression in their families will be quite private about it. Uh, from your experience and conversations, how would you suggest the Orthodox community could be more helpful to people suffering with depression? It's very difficult because, uh, because it's a double-edged sword kind of. Like in other words, we wanna be helpful, but being helpful would mean exposure and exposure is something people don't want with, you know, people with mental health don't, issues don't want. So, you know, it's like, it's a catch 22 and it's, it's very difficult to know how to, how to deal with that. Honestly, I think that the kind of service that was done for the LGBTQ plus community, you know, should be done here as well. In other words, I'm not going into that topic. Yeah, that's the topic in itself. And some people might say, you know, that they're, they're way too exposed, you know, and they've done, you know, whatever. I'm not going into that. My point is that today uh, to tell someone that you're gay is not the end of the world. You know, it's gotten a lot of good PR in the sense and people are not afraid to say it anymore. And in that sense, I think that, that that's good. I think that's a positive uh, that people don't have to be hiding in the closet you know, in terms of those things. I wish that we could do the same thing for a mental illness, mm -hmm. meaning that people will not be afraid to say, you know, that they're going through something, that they would not meet with uh, the stigmatic uh, approaches that uh, society has always, always had towards individuals, that, that they wouldn't be afraid that they'd lose their job as a result, that they'd lose friends, that they'd lose support from the community. Um, and for dating and, and for dating and for shidduch, right, one hundred percent. You know, so I I wish that we could reach a situation like that. The point is that I think putting the issues out there is part of it. I think that uh, talking about it more openly is part of it. I think that you know if we could get to a situation where communities have maybe I don't know a point person that you know keeps everything confidential, you know that people can turn to at a time of need. Um, and tell them what's going on. And of course, he doesn't tell anybody, you know, and he, some, or that person somehow like, you know, uh, um, has act, act as a go-between between the family and the community, you know, in some way, you know, or things of that sort, um, you know, maybe that can also be uh, help, helpful. Um, you know, we have to make, I, I dealt with this in a, di a little bit of a different context. You talk about depression, but I'll just mention quickly, because I know we're running out of time, um, but uh, I'll just mention quickly, um, with regards to Alzheimer's, dementia, um, ADHD, you know, people with those conditions coming to shul, right? They might act out. 
it might not conform to the regular way that kind of like Shul operates, right? So, you know, I, I think that, you know, we need to make room for those people too um, and figure out how they can be part of the davening, uh, how they can be part of the community because it's very important for them and for us that we don't just push them out and say, well, if you can't, you know, work out, work yourself out according to the decorum of the shul, then forget it. You know, you're out of here. You know, why should we uh, kick them out? Why should a child with ADHD not be able to, just because he walks around a lot or he fidgets with something, you know, et cetera, or an older man with dementia who's been davening all his life in the shul. And now, you know, once in a while he shouts or he acts out a little bit, you know, is there no way for us to find a place? So in the same way, we need to be able to make room in the shul for individuals like that, we need to make room also for depression within our community. But because it's kept silent, uh, we need to find creative ways to do it. Um, some of the things which I said before, maybe. Yes. Wow. This has been incredible. Thank you. I really look forward to your book coming out and to learning from it. And um, to the positive influence, please God, it will have on our world. So thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedencenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is recorded by Karen Miller-Jackson, edited by Mecca Shore, and is a product of the Edwin Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback by email at podcasts at theedencenter.com.